and enjoy time together. Okay? So, like I said, we've been in this Gods at War series. And the Gods at War, uh, first week we learned that we are all worshipers. Now, if you haven't here, we're, in, we're not here and have not heard everything. You can listen to all of it on a podcast. Uh, you can pick those up on iTunes or I believe they're posted on our website as well. But we learned the first week that we are worshipers. We are hard, hardwired to worship something. There's no choice to not worship. You will either worship something intentionally or worship something by default. Okay? And so that's what we learned the first week. The second week, we learned that there are gods, lowercase g, that are at war for your heart. They want the throne of your heart. And they are counterfeits. They will offer you anything and everything that God promises you, but it's always empty. And the battleground for that throne is your heart. And so we learn to guard our hearts because that's where everything flows from. The following weeks, we, we, we have dove into some of the other gods, the gods of pleasure, the gods of success, the, uh, the gods of um, love. And this week, we're going to finish this series out and, and our exploration of these gods that are fighting for your throne with the god of me. And um, the whole foundation of this entire series is this, is that there is one god, and you and me are not him, Right? And that once we've established that, and I believe we have, there's a choice that we have to make. And here it is. It's that I know that there is a Lord God and the master of all creation. I also know there's a God of me, which is the pretender of the throne. And whom will I serve? That's the question we're going to ask today, and we'll wrap this series with that. And we're going to explore that through a story in the Bible of a king, a wicked king named Nebuchadnezzar. Before I get there, does anybody need a Bible? We have prepared for you, and if you do not own a Bible, we'd like to gift you with a Bible. Yes, we can give it to you. It's not just for use for today. So if you need a Bible, just slip your hand up like this. We will put a Bible in your hands. We are happy to give you one. Just, just keep your hands raised so the ushers can see you, and we'll get you one today. But we are going to be in Daniel chapter 4, and this chapter is one of the most unique chapters in the Bible, and it is so because it was not written by, um, by a prophet or by one of God's people. It was written by a king, and it was written by a king who had an evil reputation. He was a pagan and uh, a monarch, and his name was Nebuchadnezzar, and he was the king of Babylon. He was from the most powerful city in the world at the time, and uh, Babylon is now what we would consider Iraq, uh, and it's no coincidence that the hero of Saddam Hussein was Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, he called himself uh, the successor of Nebuchadnezzar, and they had a lot in common. If we look at, at uh, some of the things that Nebuchadnezzar did, we'll see that, that he murdered the sons of one of the kings of Judah right in front of him, and after he murders the, guys, the king of Judah's sons, he puts out his eyes so that it's the last thing that he sees for the rest of his life. That was it. There are other leaders of Judah that were also burned or roasted to death over a fire. His power, power and cruelty had no equal. This was a bad dude. And um, so it's fairly surprising that he would write a chapter in the Bible uh, and uh, a little bit shocking, but let's see what he has to say. We're going to jump in. We're in Daniel today, chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 1. We're going to kind of hang out in here. There's a lot of text, so please hang with me. If the story wasn't so good, I wouldn't read so much from here. But I promise you that there, there is good story here. So let's read along with it. King Nebuchadnezzar, and if you don't have your Bibles, you can just follow on the screen, but it said, King Nebuchadnezzar to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world. So King Nebuchadnezzar is identifying himself as the writer of this, okay? May you prosper greatly 
It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. So basically, King Nebuchadnezzar has written a worship song, right? And after what I just told you about him, it's kind of odd that these are the words that he's using. Now, what, this, what the Bible is doing right now uh, is using a, a popular literary um, device. It's called reverse chronology, okay? Reverse chronology gives you the ending, this shocking ending of a person, and then tells the story. So that's what is going to happen today. A lot of movies do this. A movie like The Usual Suspects, if you've ever seen that, does that. They give you the ending, and you're like, wow, that's crazy, and then they tell the story that leads you to that crazy ending point, right? And so that's what's going to happen today. And, and the reason that, that reading that Nebuchadnezzar wrote this, it's kind of like hearing like a modern day, like a Howard Stern would be on the radio praising God, or Bill Maher is on TV, on his TV show of saying that God is king, right? You know from listening to any of those guys that they have absolutely nothing, like they want nothing to do with God, and they just laugh and make jokes at it all the time. And so Nebuchadnezzar writing this was, uh, was rather shocking to everybody. So what we're going to do is we're going to begin here um, in the fourth chapter of Daniel. We see that uh, Nebuchadnezzar is about to experience a change in his life, and he goes from being the ultimate self-worshipper to worshiping the one true God. So we're back in, we're in Daniel 4.4, 4, and it says, now the story begins, the, the part that where he's, after he's done praising God, now the part comes in where we tell the story. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid as I was lying in my bed. The images and visions that passed through my mind terrify me. Now, notice how things are going for him, right? It says that he was at home in his palace. Great place to be. Anybody else here live in a palace? No? Okay. So he's in a great place, right? He's contented and he's prosperous means he's happy there's nothing that he lacks there's nothing that he wants and he's prosperous this dude's making money hand over fist in fact his money is even making money for him at this point this guy's prosperous he's got a lot of money the greatest kingdom in all the land there is no king greater than him and uh and he's at the the pinnacle of his success as a ruler living the good life and he has a nightmare where he dreams of an enormous tree, right? And it's visible to the ends of the earth. This represents him. This represents his kingdom. And the tree is abundant with fruit. You ever have one of those dreams where uh, you're standing in front of everybody in your underwear? Yeah, or maybe you're being chased down the road, like the wrong way, down a one-way street by a big donut, right? And you wake up in the morning, and then you just have to eat a slam a couple donuts in the morning and be like, now what, donut? Not chasing anybody with all sopping milk and a bite out of you? That's nobody else? That's just me? All right, cool. Cool. Well, anyway, Nebuchadnezzar's having one of these dreams. It's a weird dream, and it's bothering him, right? It's this tree. So he's not really sure what to do with it, and, uh, and so here's the dream that he has, okay? And he says, he describes him. He says, in the visions I saw while lying in bed, sorry, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Uh Uh-oh, we shifted. 
It was a stump just a second ago of a tree. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. So this dream gets his attention and he sends for his wise men and his magicians, not like me, like, you know, the sleight of hand stuff. Like these guys are guys that are conjuring artists. They, 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 they are practicing spiritualism and he calls for them and he tells them their dream. And none of them can interpret his dream. And so Nebuchadnezzar decides to call for Daniel. Now Daniel's a holy man. He's a man of God, like the God. And he calls him in and uh, Daniel is, is like one of the chief advisors at this point in his life. And uh, he tells him the dream. And Daniel has some bad news for him. Daniel tells him the truth. And in verse 22, he says to the king, Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. And your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Babylon was the greatest city or the largest city in the world at that time. And there was no, more, no king more powerful than him. But remember in the dream, the tree gets cut down. And Daniel is telling him, you are getting ready to be cut down. Daniel continues in verse 25. He says, you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times, or seven years, by the way, will pass by for you until you acknowledge the Most Highest Sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. So in everything, the dream comes crashing down for Nebuchadnezzar. His whole world is getting ready to turn upside down. And you would think that his experience with Daniel, that he'd give a little more credibility to it. You would think that he would say, all right, I'm in danger and I need to change when he's con- confronted with the truth. But, uh, but he doesn't. But God's going to give this king, who he thinks he's a god, a reality check. And he's going to make it clear that he is the only true god to him. So let's push pause on our story and do a little self-diagnosis. There's a few questions that we can ask ourselves as we look at King Nebuchadnezzar's life that determine if we're sitting on the throne of our own hearts like he was. He gave himself glory. He declared that he was God. He declared that he was greatest and there was none greater than him. So here's the first question that will let you know if you've got a Nebuchadnezzar issue. The first one is, what motivates you? And I want you to think about it for a minute. What motivates you? For Nebuchadnezzar, his motivation was to impress people. In fact, he had an entire statue that was built out of himself, and he felt that he, his image, was worthy of being worshipped. And there was a time of day that trumpets and instruments would play, and if you didn't bow down and worship that idol, that, that image of him, then you would die. It's pretty impressive. The kind of power this man has, it's pretty impressive the amount of uh, worth he placed in himself as well. One of the other things that Nebuchadnezzar did is he built one of the seven wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. He built these for one of his wives, who's from Media, which is a, like a mountainous area, and she missed her home. And so he built a fake mountain, built a temple, and put, the, put the, the gardens in it in such a way that they looked like they were just hanging in the air. And then accomplished a great feat of taking water from the Euphrates River 300 feet up that mountain so he could water those plants every day. This guy did some serious stuff. He had a lot to be proud of. He had accomplished some cool things. But what about you, though? His motivation was to impress others. What's your motivation? Is it for the attention of others? 
Is it for someone to pat you on the back and say good job? You see, what motivates you can reveal your heart. Question number two. I don't want to hang out there too long. It seems like some people are uncomfortable. <clears throat> hate that for you. What is your standard for success? For Nebuchadnezzar, it was personal gain. The king's palace was 350 yards long. Now, you and I, we're impressed by a house that's 10,000 square feet or 12,000 square feet. Anybody ever seen a house like that? It's pretty impressive. It's big. But Nebuchadnezzar's house, his palace, was estimated to be 630,000 square feet. This guy was all about personal gain. And that's what his standard for success was. But what about you? Is your standard for success your bank account? Obtaining a romantic relationship? Is it your career? Or is it just keeping your battery on your droid charged long enough to take notes from the sermon? That's your problem. Get an iPhone. We'll resolve that. (laughs) Yeah, you heard me back there. (laughs) Question number three. What's your source of power? Where do you go for for help? When you're facing something challenging, who is the first person that you call? For Nebuchadnezzar, it was, for him, the answer to this, it was self-empowerment. In verse 28, he looks at all his success and concludes that it was accomplished by his own mighty power. Nebuchadnezzar was convinced that he was the source of his strength, the source of his wealth. I would say that the complete opposite of that, and a great example for us, whether you like him or not, whether you like him as a player or not, don't throw anything at me. But this kind of stuff, this Tim Tebow guy, I think he's got it right. Because every time he does anything in a football game, he bows and he thanks God. King Nebuchadnezzar was the complete opposite. He's a guy who said, this is me, I did this. But Tebow, just a football player, Tim Tebow. Nobody knows this guy? Okay. I mean, he's kind of iconic. He's been a subject. Okay. One guy right here in the front saying, yes, it's me. He was, he was not afraid to raise his hand. Did you see that? Appreciate you being here. Talking to somebody. I got it. Tim bows, and he thanks God for the strength and the ability to accomplish what he just accomplished in something as simple as a football game. And I say that Nebuchadnezzar was the complete opposite of that. Question number four. What's the purpose of your life? For King Nebuchadnezzar, his purpose was personal happiness. Everything he did was motivated by a desire to be happy and satisfied. And most of us have a purpose, and it usually looks like find a job, keep a job, find a new job. Get some money, spend some money, get some money, spend some money, get some money, spend some money. Or maybe it's you want a child, you birth a child, you raise a child, then you want the child to move out on its own so he can get a job, keep the job, find a new job, make some money. You understand? Our lives are wrapped around our purpose. That may change a little bit, but the purpose doesn't. Like what we do may change, but the purpose still remains the same. And so how Nebuchadnezzar answered those questions are the same answers we give when we are worshiping the God of me. But God is about ready to flick Nebuchadnezzar off the throne of his own heart. He's about to humble him in a major way. And Daniel tells the king that he's about ready to be cut down and that soon Nebuchadnezzar will be living like an animal, eating grass like cattle. Anybody here have any experience with that, eating grass? It's not a fun thing. It's just not. It's not tasty. It's not healthy. 
like, I don't know that it'll hurt you, but I mean, dogs eat it when their stomachs are upset. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is what this guy is getting ready to do for the next seven years. And so Daniel says in verse 27, we're back in the Bible, it says, Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. He's going to give him a little bit of advice. Now, a guy like Nebuchadnezzar, what do you think he's going to do with that advice? He's like, hey, I did all this. He's arrogant. He's proud. Daniel says to him, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So Daniel tries to warn the king. He tells him, hey, maybe if you repent, maybe if you stop oppressing the people, maybe God will forgive you. Maybe this will be done. Maybe you won't have to turn into an animal. The people, by the way, that that the king was oppressing, the slaves that he had, some of them were Israelites. See, they had come in and obliterated all of Israel and taken most of the people captive, the ones that they didn't kill. And had taken them captive, and so it's God's people that are underneath his thumb. And Daniel's like, hey man, chill out. Just humble yourself. Admit you were wrong. Be done with this. But King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't do it. And in verse 28... It says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace, twelve months later, God gave him grace. Twelve months of it to change his ways. Let me just pause that for a second. Well, well, for those of you that have heard God call to you, He's giving you opportunity after opportunity. Today can be your day to change this. To change it all. You may have said no before, but today can be your yes. Your yes to Jesus. This guy has 12 months, and in his pride and his arrogance, he says, no, I don't need it. I'm not going to repent. I just don't want the same to happen to you. Not that you're going to turn into a werewolf or anything, but 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? 12 months. He could have done what he was told to do. But in verse 33, it says, immediately what had said had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Now, I want you to imagine being a kid, okay, and reading this verse in the Bible. And all of a sudden, all of your greatest fears about what you saw in the movie American Werewolf in London, TV version, you just found out came true and is like real. Like, that was a scary movie to me as a kid. Does anybody not know about this movie? Oh, there's a few people out there. All right. That was scary to me as a kid, even with the TV version where you didn't really see much of anything. But the idea of a werewolf on the loose scared me. And to have it confirmed in the Bible, that scared me. And it wasn't until later that it was explained to me that, that Nebuchadnezzar was not a werewolf, but uh, there was much joy had at my expense. Let's just say that for a while until the air was cleared that he was not a werewolf. But... I want you to try and imagine the transformation that took place. It says that he was driven away from the people. His pride and his arrogance kept him away from people. You ever notice that about arrogant people? 
Not really around a whole lot of people, are they? Since he was driven from people and ate grass like cattle, his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle. So his hair's all matted and his nails like the claws of a bird. This guy looks pretty rough and he's hanging out as an animal. This is a huge change for him. At night, he sleeps outside and goodness knows what else he does with his days, but his mind is just gone. And the Bible says in verse 34, 35, it said, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does what he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. This is the guy who thought he was God and was made into a beast and eventually realizes that he's just a man. That God was able to humble him. And so Nebuchadnezzar takes himself off the throne of his heart and he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he's done is, he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. He knows that God is God. He is the only one that deserves to be on that throne and he's not God so he doesn't sit on his throne anymore. And now he answers those questions that I asked earlier. He answers them a little differently. He knows firsthand that God is able to humble the proud. It's much like the statement I say to my kids. I say to them all the time. I say, discipline yourselves or I will discipline you. God is saying the same to us. Humble yourselves or I will humble you. And that's what happened with King Nebuchadnezzar. He refused to humble himself. He refused to acknowledge God. He refused because he had the God of me sitting on the throne of his heart. And when God replaces you on the throne of your heart, you will answer the questions differently like Nebuchadnezzar began to. So when I ask you what motivates you instead of responding, impressing others, you will say, pleasing God. When I say, what is your standard for success? Instead of personal gain, the answer becomes faithfulness to God. When I ask you what's your source of power, instead of self-empowerment, it becomes dependence on God. What is the purpose of your life? Instead of answering personal happiness, your answer becomes God's glory. You know, the big problem with making yourself God is that you can't save yourself. You have nothing in you. I have nothing in me to save you. And you can't save yourself. But did you catch what he did in verse 34? Nebuchadnezzar says, when he finally changed, he said, I raised my eyes towards heaven. And folks, I want to tell you today that that is the greatest thing that you can do is raise your eyes towards heaven today. And so I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you and I want to say today, I stopped a moment ago. Maybe some of you have been like Nebuchadnezzar. You've been given opportunities to connect with Jesus and you just never have. Maybe you've been given those chances over and over again. And he's called you and said, Humble yourself. Accept me. Accept my gift. And you refused. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's past hurts that's kept you from accepting that. But I want to pray for you today. Because the God of me is empty. 
The God of me, the one that says, I don't need anybody but me, sitting on the heart or the throne of your heart, won't produce anything for you. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If I've been talking to you today, and I know what I'm talking to somebody here in this room today. Nobody's looking around. I don't want to embarrass you. But I've been talking to you. If I've been talking to you, and you want to say, Aaron, that's me. You've been talking to me. I don't know Jesus. I've been in services before. I've been invited into relationship with him before, and I've said no. I've said no because I know that, or I think that I'm good enough. But today, something's been working on my heart. And let me tell you, what's been working on your heart is the Holy Spirit. As I've spoken the, the word of God today, he's worked on your heart. He's inviting you in. And I want to offer you that invitation. If you just raise your hand and let me know that you're here, I'll pray for you. And you can be as sure for heaven as if you're already there. You can be restored into relationship with God. You can be forgiven. You can know love like you've never known it before. So if that's you, if you're here, would you put your hand up and let me know that you're here? You can put your hands down. I want to thank you for your honesty. I want to thank you for your boldness. And for the rest of us that are here, you know, let me give you some symptoms of the God of arrogance or the God of me. And one of them is arrogance. Arrogance says, don't, I don't, I don't uh, need help. Look what I did. It's me. It's I. Look at me. Or maybe there's insecurity in your life. If you're constantly anxious and worried about something, money, love, acceptance, success, then you place the God of me on your heart instead of the King of Kings. Or if you're defensive all the time, you can't take criticism. Even me telling you right now that you need God, you're like, I don't need him. Or even if you've been saved, and I'm telling you, maybe you need to reconsider. Maybe you need to check your heart and you say, I'm good. I'm not sinning anymore. Maybe you need to check. If you make every part of criticism, even in the smallest form of personal attack, that it's a good possibility that the God of me is sitting on the throne of your heart. Because you feel the need to be perfect and no one should be able to criticize you. If that's you, you have a moment today to repent. Repentance is not a bad place. We have to stop thinking that it is. Repentance is not a bad place to be. And so I invite you into repentance, into restored relationship with God today. And I'm going to pray now for you. Father, I thank you for today that you've given us another opportunity, another call like you did with Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar to, to wake up, to humble ourselves, to accept your sacrifice, Jesus, that you made for us so that we may be forgiven of our sins and restored relationship with our Father. Lord, for those that raise their hands today, I pray for them. I pray, God, that you would fill their lives with your love in a way that they have never known before. I pray, God, that you would touch their hearts, mend their relationships, and mend their relationship with you. Lord, give them your Holy Spirit and allow, them, and allow him to teach them how to live for you every day. And as they promise in their hearts to live for you every day, as you show them how. Lord, for those of us that are here today, Lord, that we have allowed the God of me, it's crept in. We didn't mean for it to. We're sorry. And we ask you, Lord, to forgive us. 
And Father, as our hearts are truly repentant, as we're in our seats, or even as I stand here and I tell you I'm sorry because I'm guilty, we ask you, God, to forgive us, to restore us into right relationship with you, so that we can know you as the God of our heart, so that you can sit on the throne of our heart where you desire to be. Because Jesus, regardless of whether I put you there or not, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are worthy of my all. And everything that I am completely yielded to you. So Lord, search us. Cleanse us. Today. Amen. I want you to know something. This series is ending, but this war will not. The gods that are at war for your heart will rage that war every single day of your life. From the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. From the simple decisions and the simple habits that you form. The places you go, the people you talk to. These gods are ever-present. And they will do everything they can to throw Jesus off the throne of your heart. You must guard your heart. I pray for you, and I pray for you all. Because while we may be done with this sermon series, the subject isn't done with you. So remember it, and guard yourselves. If you're here today and you need prayer for anything, I have people that are be here and in the back of the room that have badges on that look like these. They're happy to pray with you.